With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh! Wonderful shot by Lennox Lewis! A right hand by Holyfield! By Boston Douglas! Look at this! But unfortunately, it'll never happen. Frotch punches and punches, and it's over. I think it's going to be over. I have to say, there seems an element of genuine hate between these two, Ambrose. For sure. I don't hate the man. Just imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Frank. You can stop it any time. Castillo's in trouble. Weak steps in, and the fight is over. Oh! Welcome back to the legendary nights after show i'm the host sean and i'm joined as always by lukey for another episode of us dissecting the main episode from season four of legendary nights this was episode number two and this was the tale of oscar de la hoya and floyd mayweather at the time the richest fight in the sport but has since been surpassed by manny pacquiao and floyd mayweather and strangely enough Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, something which I'm sure we will touch on throughout the course of this episode. But we're here, Lukey, to really dissect the tale of De La Hoya versus Mayweather and the stories that surrounded it, the build-up leading into it, and how this was probably a defining fight for Mayweather and probably the moment where I think Mayweather really landed on the map. Not in the sense that he wasn't already known, but in terms of going from a world-class fighter who was a, a multiple-weight champion to an absolute global superstar. I, I think this was the fight that did it. Yeah, I mean, this is the fight that kind of... I mean, on a more important level, this fight, we see these fights all the time, like Andre Ward, Chad Dawson sort of elevated Andre Ward. I think maybe Floyd versus Zab Judah would have been the hardcore enthusiast uh, fight where they go, man... Floyd is really, really good. But this was 
Floyd's moment to be a relevant superstar in the sport of boxing. This was the passing of the torch. And as I'm sure we'll get into, I don't even think it's just the fight and the dynamics of the fight. It is the unveiling of 24-7. It's Floyd playing a villain. It was good versus bad. It was the perfect storm to get basically casual fans invested in, is this guy going to win or is this guy going to get his butt kicked? Something that we touched on throughout the main episode and we hammered home a lot throughout the course of the build-up to the fight was the fact that boxing was starting to decline because of the fact that some of the big superstars of the sport were starting to either retire or they were coming towards the end of the career or they were sustaining losses which was quite damaging at the time to the sport and, and to its potential future and the last big pay-per-view star at the time was probably Oscar De La Hoya and of course Floyd Mayweather had already made his mark in the boxing world at this point however he was wasn't quite yet at that point where he was that pay-per-view star and it was for me this fight as I said earlier that that kind of changed all this for him because he played into that villain role as you rightly pointed out he made people want to see him lose he made people buy that pay-per-view on the premise of I can't stand this guy, I can't stand his attitude, I don't like his cockiness, I want to see this guy get beat. A lot of people were still in love with De La Hoya as a fighter and, and wanted to see him have one last golden moment in his career and many thought that maybe that should have been the golden moment and of course the controversy that surrounds this fight in some people's minds is how the fight was scored and, and the fact that it was close, the fact that Mayweather got the decision albeit some people think that the decision should have gone the other way. So whilst it's not one of the most controversial fights for its scoring and for its end result, it certainly brings up a conversation around the fight and it still gives people plenty of healthy debate to talk about how this fight played out. But before we do go down that route with this episode, what I want to do is talk about the Mayweathers in general. That's something we on this show and, and on this network haven't really done until this episode. And you know, there were some stories that we included for this tale that I wasn't aware of. I'd not really looked into further than what I already knew. And I got to learn a little bit more about Floyd Sr., his relationship with his son, which I knew was dysfunctional. I always knew that, but I didn't really know to what extent and, and where it really all stemmed from. And this was the episode for me where I became more educated with that. And it made me feel like I wanted to learn a little bit more about the, the dysfunctional family of the Mayweathers. But when we look back on this now and we, we, we transport ourselves back to May 2007 and the unveiling, as you said, Lukey, of the 24-7 show, which was groundbreaking for its time and has inspired many people to go on and create sort of similar mini documentaries going forward. It certainly, it brought a lot of things to the table moving forward for the future in this fight, didn't it? Well, I think, I think what it really did was there, it was the perfect storm, right? You have Oscar De La Hoya, who's this super-managed, micromanaged, I want to be the good guy, I'm going to not try to say anything bad, and then it's kind of interesting as he became a promoter. He's probably the figure that I think most of us wanted him to become, which is like a real person, maybe deeply troubled, but De La Hoya was kind of this, whatever I do, I'm going to try to be a role model and a golden child. And then you had Floyd, who literally was raised in dysfunction, he had chaos. There was Roger, his uncle, who then sadly passed away recently. You had the father that had this up-and-down relationship, contentious relationship. I think that the chaos around both fighters, with basically Floyd basically being 
an obnoxious, over-the-top, I'm going to rub it in your face, I'm all about money, I'm going to beat you. And I think that what, I just showed this to my girlfriend the other day, what what symbolizes the build-up best is when you watch the ring walk out and Floyd dresses in the Mexican trunks and the sombrero, that kind of embodies that. Because I don't even know if people in 2023 could get away with that, even though it wasn't that long ago. But it very much sums up the buildup to this fight that he was so obnoxious. Then he comes out wearing basically a traditional Mexican fighter getup to a, a chorus of boos. And he came out to a uh, traditional Mexican music as well to the fight, which it really did rub up the Mexican fans and the Mexican-American fans uh, the wrong way. It really did rub them up the wrong way. And that's exactly the... The, what he wanted that was the reaction he wanted he wanted to play it's like he fed off the fact that people hated him and he played up to that pantomime villain and i remember at this time as well like i'd seen how good he was in the ring and i knew that there were really good fights in the future for him and and some of the potential fighters that i was following quite heavily at the time and it was this particular fight for me where i probably turned with Floyd Mayweather i didn't you know, I didn't necessarily appreciate what he was like in the ring at the time, but then I also started to have that dislike for him as a person because of how he how he conducted himself, especially in the lead up to this. When you watch the the twenty four seven documentary, bearing in mind that at this time social media wasn't as big and and self reliant upon as what it is now, this was groundbreaking for us as fans because we got to take a look behind the curtain of what goes on behind big fight camps like this none of us had really unless you were involved at the time in the sport none of us had really seen any of this so we never really appreciated or understood the the difficulties and the challenges and the arguments that that happen behind closed doors in a, in a training camp especially for a fight of this magnitude and you know what we saw was the the reconciliation between Floyd Senior and Floyd Junior and it was a an albeit heated one but a reconciliation nevertheless and the issues with obviously Floyd Senior training Delahoya prior to the fight, and then him not being in the corner for the fight. Freddie Roach then coming in for this specific fight. So there were a lot of variables that really made this fight even more hyped because there was all these different sort of subplots to the main story of what was going to be one of the biggest fights of all time. And when we look back on it now, you just you don't really fully appreciate how much of a a big fight this was and this is why we always say like this was at a time when boxing kind of felt a little bit flat and the superstars were, were sort of waning away or there was no major superstars at the time that were really at the forefront and until maybe a year or so down the line after this fight that's when I think everybody started to get that notice when this pay-per-view fight happened it started to lead the way for future pay-per-view fights later that year after this fight he fights Ricky Hatton and for us in the UK, that was one of the biggest fights of, of our generation because we got to see one of our beloved heroes going in against a fellow undefeated fighter and hoping that he would do the business against a guy that we, we couldn't stand because of his mouth. So it had all different significant reasons for this fight to happen, but it also, what it did is it, it sort of set a precedent of what would become pay-per-view at this point in time, which would then slowly start to subside as we came into the, the the next decade of course but the pay-per-view side of it at this time I don't think we'd really seen something as big probably since the late 90s at this point 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was the changing of the guard, right? It was it was boxing. It's kind of where boxing's at right now. Boxing was looking for the next star, and Floyd became this kind of hateable character to like the Mexican fight fans, where he he basically did a number on their one of their I wouldn't say beloved heroes. De La Hoya is definitely not a beloved Mexican fighter to macho Mexican fans, but he was. He was picking and prodding at a fighter who had who had lost all the big fights. You know, De La Hoya, I think, had earned his respect amongst all fight fans, but especially the Mexican American fight fans, the Mexican fight fans, because he took on these great challenges, and even if he didn't win, he he actively seeked out those fights. And Floyd, very good fighter, very proven fighter at this time, beating Chico Corrales, beating Zab Judah, beating a slew of guys, but he was entering into this fight with absolutely no respect for this fighter. I think the the average person was expecting De La Hoya to beat him and humble him. And I think part of his star factor was he wins a close fight and then from that carries over this character to his to his subsequent fights. And that's where further pay-per-views, future moments for Floyd Mayweather. We really began that. This is the money... This is the Money Mayweather era. This is where it started, isn't it? Because before this, he was Pretty Boy Floyd. And I think I liked the Pretty, Fo- Pretty Boy Floyd style. I liked his, his aggressiveness prior to what he eventually became in, 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 in a really defensive fighter. But this this was sort of that pivotal moment in his career where not only did he take over the mantelpiece of being a pay-per-view star and, and being that number one pay-per-view star, he also sort of changed his style as a fighter. And I felt he became a little bit a little bit more negative at this point as a fighter, and it, it all became about hit and not be hit rather than sitting in the pocket, which is kind of what he used to do in those in those prior fights, which you mentioned there earlier. And this is where I, I, his persona, like you said, he carries it into future fights. He goes from Pretty Boy Floyd to Money Mayweather, and everything from this point, because of how rich this fight was for him and, and for boxing, he becomes Money Mayweather. So he takes on that persona, and persona has, has stuck ever since of course and even now in 2023 he still does these exhibitions where you know people are paying to watch them and people are going to places venues to watch him fight again which for us is, is, is not our sort of forte anymore with Floyd Mayweather we don't necessarily enjoy seeing that but him as a businessman despite what I've felt about his persona I've always felt he, he was one of the best businessmen in the sport one of the big moments for him, again, in this story that we covered was the fact that he bought his contract out with Bob Arum. Bob Arum, he wanted 20 million off Bob Arum to do that fight. Bob Arum was like, nope, I've got no interest in the fight. You ain't going to get 20 million. Floyd eventually takes more than that for the Oscar De La Hoya fight. And then thus ends up going on to get bigger, more profitable fights in the future. So his business style, his, his shrewdness of being a businessman is always something I actually have admired in him as a person. Yeah, Floyd's complicated, right? He's kind of like a lot of these figures in modern sports like LeBron James and stuff. Like there's aspects of Floyd that I really, really like. Like for example, I think even when he was Money Mayweather, he really sat down on his punches and threw hard shots. It's just he wasn't looking to land the damaging blows as much. But I think that people act like he was playing tag with guys in the ring but he really turns over punches and throws with a lot of conviction the right hand even the jab is like a bazooka jab you really forget that because the fights 
turned into such technical exercises. It seemed like he didn't. He was risk adverse. He wanted to win fights. He didn't want to take chances. Whereas earlier in his career, there's a little bit more performative element. Um, with with the more modern the persona fights, I think Floyd becomes more problematic to me because it felt like when Floyd got the power, he strategically chose when to fight fighters, and it felt like he never really. In that in that money Mayweather era, we never saw him fight the guys when we most wanted to see them, and it's a lingering effect I think that's carried over the sport of boxing since him, where guys that looked up to Floyd are trying to fight the guys that are their biggest rival at the most opportune time for them. So like you look at Manny Pacquiao, Miguel Cotto, when Floyd fought them, they were not at the peak of their powers. They were not the same fighters, and I think that also is a part of Floyd's legacy is that there? he kind of strategically moved his career in that second half of his career to fight guys on his terms. And that's kind of where me and Johnson as, as podcasters kind of... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And storytellers have difficulty with, with that part of his career. It's like we we appreciate what he can do in the ring and what he was able to do in the ring, but it, it never really, that style of, of fighting wasn't entertaining to us as fans, and I think that's why it became more difficult as his career went on. Is is you nailed it on the head, you know, there were certain moments where he could have had these fights with fighters in their absolute primes, and he didn't. For whatever reason, it just didn't happen, whether it was issues over VADA testing, blood testing, drugs testing with Pacquiao or whether it was different reasons he he then chose when he wanted to take them fights and I don't know what it was with him at the time that made him do that but it just didn't feel like the end of a legacy of someone who claims to be the best ever and that's why I always have difficulty when I look at Mayweather in his career and and you know, how he sort of labels himself as the best ever. I, I struggle to sit there and say that he is. And sometimes I sit there and I think, does he does he make your top 10? And, and I know that's a completely different subject and it is subjective to talk about best fighters of all time and where they should place. But 
in my mind, when I think of best fighters of all time, what he can do in the ring, absolutely. But it's not for me, it's not just about what a fighter can do in the ring. It's, it's everything that they bring to the table, the impact they have in the sport, as well as various other variables that I would like to put together and say, well, this is what I consider to be, you know, one of the greatest fighters of all time. Skill-wise, absolutely. If you're just going off skill alone, you'd be putting Floyd Mayweather right up there. But is he really the best ever? And, and that's a debate that could be had and an argument that could be had by many different people who will bring many different bits of supporting evidence to that claim. But for me, as a, as a fan, just speaking as a fan and, and not someone who, who does this podcast, I, I didn't like his style at that point. I didn't like it. I didn't like the way he picked his fights I didn't like the way he didn't take the fights when he could have took the fights and for me that kind of turned me off him but as he's got to the end of his career and he, he he's essentially retired from the competitive side of the sport and he's now just doing exhibitions I can appreciate what he's done for the sport in some ways and I can appreciate the skill level that he had and and the guys that he en- ended up going on to beat but do I look at him in the same way that I look at other fighters of different generations do I look at him the same way I look at Leonard? Do I give more props to Leonard than I would to Mayweather? Well, yeah, I would because I felt Leonard, despite his retirements and him returning to the ring, I felt he took on all the challenges he needed to take on at the right times. The same with many other fighters. That That's kind of where I see Mayweather. So this fight, I know we're going off on a tangent a little bit, but this fight was kind of a pivotal moment for many reasons, both positive and negative. It brought boxing back to the forefront. It brought the pay-per-view structure back into the element of of promoting a fight and giving the opportunity for fighters to make big money off them. Uh, But in the same sense, it it turned a fighter like Floyd Mayweather into a fighter who became very selective about who he fought and when he fought him and how he fought him. And for me, that that kind of... When I look at these two careers, uh, that's what I see it as. I see it as two careers. I see it as Pretty Boy Floyd and Money Mayweather. And what do I prefer? I prefer the pretty pretty boy Floyd era where he was aggressive as opposed to the fighter that became really, really defensive. And whilst he was very skillful in which to do that, it just never resonated with me. And and that's why I can't look at his legacy and go, he's one of the best ever, uh, or he's in that sort of top five argument for best ever for me. I mean, another, another way to look at it, two ways I'd look at it is uh, Floyd turned into like Coca-Cola. Is Coca-Cola the best cola drink? I don't know, but they'll tell you they're the best cola drink. Floyd became big business, and part of his brand was to say he's the best fighter ever. He sells shirts with it. He indoctrinates the youth with it. Part of his brand became, I'm the best fighter ever, so you can't talk about my fighting style because I'm the best. And I think also another thing in retrospect is the involvement of Al Heyman in his career. Heyman became one of the most pivotal figures in boxing. And I think that Heyman coming from the music industry, entertainment industry, it's very much the Floyd became almost a musician, right? It's Floyd Mayweather coming to your city and he's bigger than his opponents. And you're coming to see a Floyd fight, not the not the matchup per se, but it's come by a ticket to see this once in a lifetime entertainer as opposed to him going up against the very best and I think it's a mixture of those two that kind of made his career in the second half. So going back to this fight I know we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent here just really talking about the impact really on Floyd Mayweather. What we haven't really spoke about is is Oscar of course like Oscar De La Hoya and how he performed in this fight where, where he was at in his career 
what happened subsequently following this fight. Going back to Oscar's career at this point, obviously he'd stepped up and he'd made them challenges. He'd, he'd lost to Bernard Hopkins in a, in, a, in a valiant effort against Hopkins. And at this point in time, it was seeing him trying to have that one last moment in his career. And I called it his golden moment. He was like trying to define and end his career on, a, on an absolute high. And unfortunately, he weren't able to do that in this particular fight. But the performance on the night against Mayweather, I felt for the first half of it was what I would consider to have been the blueprint to potentially have beaten Floyd Mayweather. And I think people like Ricky Hatton looked at that fight in particular and thought, you know, I've got a shot here with my style. I've got a shot of being able to get on the inside and and bully Mayweather to the body. And it wouldn't happen, of course. But in that fight, that was where I think the blueprint came for people to look at Mayweather and think, you know, he is beatable. He is a beatable fighter. I can beat this fighter. I think Oscar De La Hoya laid that out in that fight. But I think Oscar at this point was too shop-worn. He was too battle-hardened to the point where he wasn't the same Oscar De La Hoya at the turn of the century, at the turn of the millennium. For me, it was an Oscar De La Hoya that was having that one last moment to try and reap that glory and also using his pay-per-view status, of course, uh, him at the time, to be able to earn a hell of a lot of money. But when you look back on that fight then, Luke, and you look at De La Hoya and his performance and the shape he was in going into it, you can't really... I can't really knock him for, for one, taking the fight, and two, getting himself into as good shape as that he was in. And also, I think the performance was... Up until halfway through, I think he was absolutely on point, and it just felt like he started to chase Della, uh, chase Mayweather around the ring uh, to no avail, where Mayweather just made it easy and just sort of... He sit back and he just threw them shots where he needed to throw them shots. And I think that's why... A lot of people think Oscar De La Hoya should have won the fight because of his effective pressure that he was putting on him. But he slowed after sort of round six onward. It was all Mayweather then until that final round where they both stood toe-to-toe and had a little bit of a, a battle in the end. So what did you think, looking back now in hindsight, of De La Hoya's performance? How does, it, how does it stand the test of time? Although I know he lost... How does he stand the test of time in that in that performance against Mayweather? I mean, it's vintage De La Hoya. He always lost a big fight, you know. He was always competitive, and he'd always lose the big fight. And that, it's vintage that. I mean, the fight itself was very lackluster compared to the buildup. I don't think many people ever go back to watch this fight, but they might watch the buildup to the fight, you know. I think a highlight package will suffice, but... I mean, De La Hoya has a whole career of being very, very close, but just not doing a thing right to win the fight. And like, that is his career, you know? And to me, this was just an older version of what he had done against Mosley in the second fight, what he had done with Trinidad. It's it's very comparable, but it's just an older guy doing the same mistakes. So going back to the end of this fight and the fact that people do believe De La Hoya won the fight... How how do they see that? How do you think people who still believe that De La Hoya won the fight see that? What What's their perception of De La Hoya winning this fight? Because I can understand why they do, but I always kind of look back on this fight and I think I understand why people felt he was aggressive in the first half, but I always felt Mayweather ultimately just had that little bit more and was able to to control the second half of the fight to the point where he made it easy. I think, I think that probably, and I shouldn't judge, that would be a fan's perspective. 
in a fan that didn't enjoy Floyd Mayweather, so they gave Oscar every benefit of every doubt. So I'd assume that every swing round, every close round, they're scoring forward aggression, they're scoring competitive and close rounds. Every competitive round would go to Oscar, and he got every benefit of the doubt. That would be the only way I could imagine it would be if you have a bit of a bias and maybe a fandom towards Oscar or not liking Floyd, then I think you could get to that outcome. But I think as an objective observer, either a draw or a close Floyd Mayweather win is probably the right scorecard because I think that Oscar just didn't quite do enough to win those pivotal rounds. And that that's kind of where I've sat with the fight. Uh, I think in the past, maybe I was a little bit biased by emotion towards how I felt about Floyd. But ultimately, when I look back on the fight, I think, yeah, I think he's won that fight. And subsequently, that style that he adopts in this fight, from his, his, as I said earlier, he, he carries it on. And you rightly said the same thing as well. He carries it on throughout his career and he, he makes a success out of it. He does. He makes success out of, of being that way and, and making fights difficult. And, and, you know, you look at the future fights of Marcus Maidana and how he made them look so competitive because he allowed that fight to be competitive. Like, when Maidana put it on him in that first fight and he, he busted Mayweather's nose and you'd not seen any blood out of Mayweather's nose for such a long time in a boxing ring, it was it was quite a bit of a shock and awe moment for, for many people. So I think because he allowed Maidana to come in the way he did in their fight, it, it allowed for that second fight to happen to generate the interest in it. And that's why I always say he's a shrewd business. I think a lot of the stuff that he, he did despite not being what I wanted to see from him and his legacy, I think it was all a shrewd business move for him to make sure that it was always going to be on his terms. It was always going to be at the time where he felt he had every advantage over that opponent, whether it be physically, mentally, financially, whatever it is. It's like he, he learned from some of his earlier days in his career and he took all that on board and he's like, right, well, I'm going to fight Manny Pacquiao. Even though if he fought him in 2000 and. 10 for example when they were supposed to fight people believe that fight would have been completely different from the fight that we saw in 2015 we're never going to know that now but it's like Mayweather was able to make them choices and, and select them moments in his career where he could have them advantages and make sure that he used them and I always felt like that's how he navigated the the, the last five to ten years of his boxing career and even still now like he's doing exhibitions now so two sometimes three times a year and he's making money for it and he's making lots of money for it people are willing to pay to see Floyd Mayweather and let's be honest we're not going to see him lose an exhibition bout he's going to always walk away with a lot of money and does it affect his legacy from a boxing perspective probably but what he did building this fight up the way he hyped this fight the way he made this fight what it was and he became that villain if he wouldn't have done that and he wouldn't have done everything he did in the build-up to this fight I don't think the fight would have sold as well as it did and would have broke pay-per-view records like it did because he played his part to a T Oscar was the good guy Floyd was the bad guy Floyd played it up people wanted Floyd to lose so they would pay the money to watch him lose and essentially Floyd would pull in all that money and, and like I said earlier it was the richest fight in the history of the sport up until Manny Pacquiao faced Floyd Mayweather in 2015. And then Conor McGregor, of course, that was a really strange one. I actually had to do a double check on the fact that that fight is one of the most richest fights in the history of the sport. 
which is a crossover fight. It's not even it's not even like your Pacquiao's and your Mayweather's or your the your Leonard and your Hearns fights, like the legacy fights. This is a fight between an MMA superstar who had his first professional bout against a, a boxing star. And it's it's crazy the sort of money it made. And it also happened again earlier this year. Francis Ngannou, another UFC star, Tyson Fury. Saudi Arabian princes want to pay lots of money for it. Floyd, again, he laid that blueprint down for all this stuff to happen. And it all began from this De La Hoya fight. And we all know, yeah, like the, there's a lot of guys wearing Monster Energy drink shirts uh, tuning into Floyd versus Conor at McGregor thinking Floyd was going to get knocked out when Conor landed the left hand. But the first rule of Saudi Arabia boxing is, for the love of God, don't mention it's in Saudi Arabia. Just talk about the great the great economic success, and it's welcoming to tourism. We love a little, uh, that's coming this week again. It's in Saudi Arabia, but let's glance over, like, you know, the human rights violations and just talk about it. it's Riyadh season. So, looking back on this fight, it's left a great legacy behind, not for the fight itself, but for the build-up the money it made, the pivotal moments it created in boxing careers and what it would lead on to over the next 10 to 15 years in this sport. And this is one of the reasons why we wanted to cover it for this season of Legendary Nights. Not because we think, oh, this was a fight that everybody needed to be reminded of, but more so the magnitude of what it did for the sport. Boxing was dying at that time. Boxing needed that injection into the vein and he got it with this fight he got it with this build-up and what would we be at now or where would we be at now if this fight hadn't have happened could you genuinely have envisaged another fight of this magnitude happening that would have allowed boxing to maintain its reputation as as probably the top combat sports provider i think that context is key I think what also helped was the fact that Roy Jones Jr. and Tarver had fought and Jones lost, and that planted the seed of doubt that like a cocky, confident fighter might lose a fight like this. So I think Jones Jr. losing to Tarver, who also was a character, set the stage for what's really going to happen and made this fight even bigger because people said, thought to themselves, this could go either way. So that's, I think that's what it is. But I think this became the modern archetype for any super fight in fight sports. This became the UFC archetype. This became the boxing archetype. This became the pay-per-view model, the gold standard. From this point forward, we need someone who, who models themselves after good and someone who's kind of hateable but becomes an anti-hero to kind of rebellious people. This became the model. It certainly did become the model, and obviously that model has since changed with the introduction of streaming services and the way the sport seems to have gone now over the past couple of years. We've lost the likes of HBO, we've just lost Showtime. You know, where is the sport eventually going to end up at some point down the line? Who knows? But this fight was a pivotal moment in the sport. It's why we wanted to cover it for the Legendary Nights Season 4 episode two we wanted to make sure that we reminisced with you guys and had a bit of a nostalgic trip back to a time where things felt a little bit different in life and and boxing was also just a little bit different from what it is today so i've enjoyed having you on lukey as always for the after show thank you for coming on and covering i'd like to get just one more final 
Lukeism, I'll call it a Lukeism, about this tale, uh, your summary of De La Hoya. I would say that the story of Mayweather De La Hoya would be of a very talented fighter that was struggling to find a base of fans in boxing who antagonized a very loyal boxing fan base and Mexican fight fans and targeted kind of a golden child who had never quite gotten the big win, but I think a lot of fans wanted to see him get a big win at the tail end of his career and mocked and belittled him and humiliated him throughout the buildup of a fight. And because he didn't lose, those people came, would consistently want to see Floyd lose because of how big of a jerk he was. And I think also there was a group of people who had been bullied or maybe put down in life and they loved seeing a guy like Floyd Mayweather be able to stand up and say these things and have no consequence. He was like the badass kid in high school who gets in trouble yet he becomes a millionaire. So I think that what it did was it caught fire because we had never seen someone do something in this fashion using video cameras, being this bold, having no fear of the repercussions and then backing it up in the ring. It really was a, a different thing because I remember going into this thinking Floyd's a great fighter, but man, is this going to be a lot of pressure with the amount of crap he talked and to see him back it up. I think that a lot of people really got behind it. And it was the time when there were NFL street and all these games of trash talk and one videos, trash talk, trash talk. And most people failed with the trash talk. And I think the other underlying thing is Floyd was able to succeed where many couldn't with the the mental pressure he put on himself. And that is a good way to call time on this episode of The After Show. Big thanks to yourself, Lukey, for coming on and covering the season four Legendary Nights After Shows. It's really appreciated your wisdom, your intellect is always greatly appreciated on these so thank you as always for coming on and a big thanks to everybody else that has been listening to the show so far thank you so much we've had a phenomenal response to the first episode of not only the season but the after show so a big thanks to everybody keep leaving your comments on spotify and make sure you leave your comments also on any of the available podcasting apps that allow you to do so we will of course be back very soon It will be in 2024 when the season resumes after the Christmas and New Year break. Big shout out to everybody for supporting the show and we will see you next time on the Legendary Nights After Show. Oh, wonderful shot by Lennox Lewis. A right hand by Holyfield. By Buster Douglas, look at this. He's knocked by Tyson down for the first time in his career. But unfortunately, it'll never happen. Crunch! Punches! And punches! And it's over! I think it's going to be over. say there seems an element of genuine hate between these two Ambrose. For sure. I don't hate the man. Just imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Greg. You can stop it any time. Castillo's in trouble. Weak steps in and the fight is over. Oh! Podcast Network.